0: I don't know what else we'll say about that okay so um let's uh let's pray, and then we'll jump into the sermon this morning. Father, uh, we come before you this morning and and in one hand it's um it's just another Sunday morning for us, getting kids dressed, finding a parking spot uh, in another sense it's something we're doing, it's a discipline we're we're doing. We're joining with the Christian community and we're participating in a tradition that goes back thousands of years. There's a sacredness to what we do when we come together as your children, as fellow believers. There's something so deep and mysterious and rich about it. And I pray this morning that you would give us just a sense of that, that we would be anchoring ourselves in deeper into you through this community that you've given us. That it would all tie together, that unity would be felt, that your closeness would be would be evident to us, and that it would melt away our pride and our vanity and just inflame a greater desire to follow you. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Um there's something interesting about religion, and lately religion uh, is is getting a bad rap, which is weird for me to say because I've always preached against religion. Um, but I think at this point, religion needs a defender, and religion is getting a bad rap. No matter where I turn, I, I tend to find that religion these days is the whipping boy of of everyone and even Christians or people in different religions, the word religion is the easy thing to pivot off of and say this is something bad or that something we don't want. Now like I said there's an aspect to that that's true but let's look at the definition of religion. Defin- definition of religion is just simply this, a set of beliefs concerning the cause, nature, and purpose of the universe especially when considered as the creation of a superhuman agency or God. Second definition, a specific fundamental set of beliefs and practices like the Christian religion or the Buddhist religion. The body, third part, the body of persons adhering to a particular set of beliefs. Um, And then lastly, the practice of religious beliefs. There's an idiom, we're familiar with it. I remember when I became a Christian, this is how people used to refer to me, but... Um, to get religion. So when I became a Christian, all my fraternity brothers were whites when we went and got religious, you know. And what they meant by that was derogatory in one sense, but also affirming that I, I had gone really extreme in my adherence to God, in my devotion and my piety and and so to get religion, to acquire deep conviction about the validity of religious beliefs and practices. In and of that, so uh, in and of itself, the word religion is not bad. It's it's a very neutral concept. It's kind of like the word church. Church, in and of itself, is very descriptive and kind of neutral. Church also gets a bad rap these days. Um, church is kind of I always pick on you know the mom of a junior high kid. You know. Um, And and maybe that's my own fault because when I was a junior higher, my worldview was really weird, you know. But you take your mom for granted when you're a junior high boy, right? By the way, Plato said the most unruly of all animals is the boy, um, which is why I purposely had all girls. So, (laughs) um, uh, So church is kind of that thing, too, that we've begun to take for granted. And we've begun to just kind of make uh, undesirable you know one of those words that just hangs around but you know you're not, you're not going to get rid of it so you take the good but you know box in and, and leave the bad kind of thing here's some um, jokes on church every day people are straying away from the church and going back to God isn't that kind of how we hear it these days The church is, in some sense, the negative defining principle. The church is only a secular institution in which the half-educated speak to the half-converted. That Maybe what we're doing here is just kind of silly or thin or or a joke or um, deplorable, depending on who you're talking about. A Sunday school teacher asked the children just before she dismissed them to go to church, and why is it necessary to be quiet in church? And little Annie, uh, little Annie replied, because the people are sleeping. You know? <laughs> yeah. You know, you don't hear much good about church. Um, in fact, church is used again as this thing we're trying to pivot off of and, and avoid to go and find Uh, a true devotion. It's something that almost gets in our way, something that we almost have to shed in order to go find authentic spirituality or, or, or true faith. Now the interesting thing that I run into with this is that we begin to take this word church and use it in a way that was never used in the New Testament. I can't tell you how many times Especially in Bend, I hear people say, I don't want to get too deep into like one church. I want to be a part of the invisible church, the real church of God. And and so I don't want to do this silly little thing of getting too into the politics and the, the institution of one church. I'm going to be a part of the church. Have you ever heard that? You might even have used it. If not, I'm, you know, if so, I'm not making fun of you, I'm making fun of... Your friends. Um, but, I mean, nobody's nodding. I mean, are you tracking? I mean, has anybody heard this? Okay. Um, one guy. I mean, seriously. Thank you. We have to do some work here with defining our language. Now, the, the body of Christ is something that was used to talk about this overarching kind of family of God. Okay, If you want to turn to Ephesians 14, we'll, we'll look at an instance of this. I'm sorry, Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, we see this great passage that Paul writes on the unity of the body of Christ. He's talking about... This, this wonderful picture, this wonderful metaphor for those who are in Christ. And in Ephesians chapter 4, we'll just kind of pick it up at the bottom, but he's talking about God giving these gifts, and some are apostles, prophets, etc. And then when we go down, we get in verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, chapter 4, verse 15, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Keep your finger there. We're going to go back to this passage quite a few times. But you, you see this picture of Jesus as the head, and the head is symbolic for the authority what gives direction, what kind of orders and, and gives life to the rest of the body. Jesus is the head, and then there's the rest of the body, and this passage is talking very broad about all those who are in Christ. So the Bible talks about the body of Christ in an invisible sense, meaning all those who are in Christ, okay? And also in a visible sense. It uses the metaphor of the body of Christ in a very particular sense for a, a city and a group of believers. Okay, So it uses it both. Here's the interesting thing though. The word church is never used in terms of this invisible sense. Uh, the, cat, the word Catholic meant universal and, and it's something that grew up early on to talk about the full scope of... Of, of all believing Christians, and so you have this idea of the Catholic Church. It's in the, it's in the Apostles' Creed, I think. I mean, it's it's this all the believers. And what happens is you get all the way to the Reformation, and Zwingli is the first one. He's the Swiss reformer to really begin to bring in this language of invisible church. And it's kind of saying we don't want to use the word Catholic anymore because, in some sense, we're we're kind of trying to move away from the catholic church and reform the church but how do we talk about the full scope of all believers well we are really talking about the invisible church and this language kind of invisible church then begins to be brought in however in the new testament the word church which comes from the greek ekklesia which is just a gathering of people is only used of a specific gathering of believers Listen to Robert Soce, who's kind of one of the preeminent theologians. Um, today, he was a professor of mine when I was in seminary, and he wrote a book and says this on page 17. As for membership in an invisible church without fellowship with any local assembly, this com- this concept is never contemplated in the New Testament. The universal church was the universal fellowship Of believers who met visibly in local assemblies. As for membership in an invisible church without fellowship with any local assembly, this concept is never contemplated in the New Testament. The universal church was the universal fellowship of believers who met visibly in local assemblies. So when you see Paul write to the Corinthian church, he says, To the church at Corinth, and when he writes the book of Galatians, he says to the Galatian churches. And when he writes the book of Thessalonians, he says, you know, to the church in Thessalonica or the Thessalonian church. And he's talking about that specific gathering of people that are coming together. When you're born, you're not. You're born into a family, and if you're not born into a family, there's a word, you're an orphan, and the idea is with orphans is to then attach them to a family, and nobody should remain an orphan. Everyone should be attached somehow to a family, and God does not envision spiritual orphans. When we become a part of his family uh, as a child, and we're born again in some sense, there's no picture in his mind of saying my my goal or my dream or the ideal for this person would be for them to be detached and to just kind of ethereally hold my name and by name be a part of this kind of invisible milieu of people that's not the idea it's to be attached to a visible representation of God's church or the body of Christ a visible ecclesia or gathering a family Real people that we can have relationship with. And when we begin to talk bad on the church, we begin to act as if the church is optional. The church is unnecessary. Religion is a word that, that we can almost push off and say does not apply to us, even though we are Christians or adhering to a religion. And we begin to kind of skew language. Why is that important? It's important because, you know, one of the hardest things for me as a dad is, is trying to talk about the things that are so obvious, but my kids just can't get, you know what I mean? Like, the 45 minutes you're going to spend whining about doing the dishes is going to make your life so much more miserable and my life so much more miserable than the five minutes it would take for you to do it. And then the joy that you'd have in your character and in the accomplishment. You know what I'm talking about? Like it's just so there, but you're like, I, I, just, don't, I just don't know how to you know, get you to understand this. And I feel like as a pastor, I'm looking at the church in America, and I'm looking at Christians, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. There's something so ridiculously simple here that we're missing, but it's so hard to communicate. And what we're all doing is we're all... How many of you have seen the bad side of church? Okay? What we've done is made it culturally acceptable that when church has abused you when i say you i don't mean you particular i mean us you know when someone has been abused by church or seen the bad side of church we've made it culturally acceptable to go you see there it is i knew it i knew it's i knew it's bad i knew it's wrong i knew it's of man i knew it was flawed so now i have the excuse to kind of move on to set myself free, to liberate my own spirituality, to go to a place where I'm unencumbered by the community and the institution and buildings and pastors and, and, and women's ministry and all that, you know, and I'm now free to become fully in this relationship with God. All the human institution stuff is out of the way. We've made that the cultural idea. Here's what's crazy about that. How many of you have um, experienced bad education, or a bad teacher, or a bad school? How many of you have experienced a bad restaurant, or meal, or waiter, or waitress? I, I I'm going to keep going here just for for the point. How many of you have experienced a bad driver on the road? How many of you have had problems with your best friend? Why is church and religion the only thing that's one and done? We've created in our society this false expectation that for the church to be good, it has to be perfect. See, there's a difference between, I I say a lot, we have to make a distinction when we're talking about justice and love and compassion between fixing the world and changing the world. Okay, everyone's kind of annoyed. We're always talking about changing the world. You can't change the world. Look at all these problems. You're not going to change it. And, And that's wrong. We can change the world. We can't fix the world. We can build a school, right? And it changes that community or those kids but we can't guarantee that a dictator is not going to come to power and a month later go demolish that school. Okay? We can change things, but we can't fix things. Do you see that distinction? And it's really helpful because when we merge those two things together, some people are overly idealistic. Let's eradicate poverty in our time. We can do it in our generations. And then you're kind of just like, I don't. it just doesn't seem feasible. And so then you just kind of quit on the whole game, right? Um, and, And so then you're not even trying to do what you can do that's actually possible. And so we kind of get this either or thing. When we make the distinction, we realize we can't fix the world, but we can change the world. We can be idealistic without saying or claiming things that aren't logically possible. We do the same thing with church. We don't recognize that, there's a difference between perfect and healthy. Your best friend isn't perfect, but they can be healthy. Your family's not, I guarantee is not perfect, but it can be healthy. Restaurants or, or your favorite restaurant isn't going to hit a home run every single time you go. That doesn't mean you should quit it. That a church or a how we express our religion can be incredibly healthy without being perfect is something we need to grab hold of. Here's the other thing we need to realize. Americans tend to find what we're against, choose to walk away from it with no sense of whether there's something we're grabbing hold of that would be better than the thing we're against. In in life, it doesn't work that way. When you say no to something, you're saying yes to something else. And pretty soon you have to say, is the thing I'm saying yes to better or greater than the thing I was saying no to? I, I, when I talk to non-believers all the time, they're like, I don't like your set of beliefs. What do you mean? Well, I don't like, you know, this and this and this. And, and I'm like, well, what do you have in its place? You know, I don't like the Bible is usually what it comes down to, you know. And I don't like the Bible. I don't like that set of, you know, doctrines or whatnot. Well, what do you have in its place? Well, I choose to believe that this is true. And then they proceed to say a bunch of things. And, I, and, and so then I'm over here and I'm like, okay, let me get this right. Your problem with Christianity is 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 that there's validity to the truth claims. You, you doubt that. You're skeptical that there's really substance to objective or very strong truth claims. Yeah, that's my problem with Christianity. So then your your response is to cobble together a hodgepodge of multiple religions or humanistic ideals into this amalgam that's that's completely and utterly unique. It's your own set of beliefs. It doesn't have a tradition, doesn't have any kind of faith-based, it doesn't even make sense in terms of internal consistency, it's like illogically cobbled together, and and you think, that's good. So you've got one of the dominant world religions, and you don't like that it's making strong truth claims, and you, out of all the billions of people that have lived, have cobbled together something that's logically inconsistent, and obviously and patently so, and you think, that's better? or more true or more reliable and all of a sudden they're like well I, n- I never really looked at it that way i was only looking at my my problems with this and i'm like well you got to beat it if you're going to say you know what i'm saying you got to have something better and when we go to church and we begin to do this whole it's got to be perfect it's got to be all this stuff. And then we go, you know what? I'm going to come out of it and be free. And we make this kind of subtle assumption that free means that I'm liberated for my soul to have this incredible relationship with God. It's a lot like saying, and maybe you didn't do this. I've done it. But most people I know that quit a gym because they're going to go work out in their garage. You know how many times I've been going to work out in my garage? I'm going to work out my garage is, is synonymous for, um, <laughs> uh, That was, uh, <laughs> yeah, um, I, I was going to say something that might have offended a lot of people, so I actually do have a filter, the, you know what I'm saying though, you know, it's synonymous for I'm going to go become fat and lazy, you know. Maybe one of you have actually done the garage thing, but you can go. This is scientific. You can go to Craigslist and look at, like, uh, treadmills or what are the ones like this where you do this? Elliptical. Go look at Craigslist and see how many like new. (laughs) Like new is scientific language for I'm one of those people that said I was going to work out in my gym but didn't really do it. That's what like new means. You know, you don't go to Craigslist and see well-worn elliptical machine, you know. We we think that somehow getting away from church creates a better system. And what we're really doing is saying, God, your plan for family and a body of Christ is, is so fraught with problems that I'm gonna reject it and alone pull myself up by my own bootstraps and you and I will skip into the future and and be you know whatever like rosy Hollywood stuff and it typically doesn't work that way and so religion the word religion we're going to come back to that in a minute has fallen on hard times church has fallen on hard times and this is what Martin Luther said listen to this he says anyone who's to find Christ must first find the church how could anyone know where Christ is and what faith is in him unless he knew where his believers are? Anyone who is uh, to find Christ must first find the church, and how could anyone know where Christ is and what faith is in him unless we knew first where his believers are? See, the question with a church that has problems or, or, or maybe isn't optimized or as healthy as it should be is to reform it. The idea is to not leave it, but to realize, like anything else in this world, when, when we reach or find instances of unhealth, that we are speaking into that, try and try and nurture it, try and change it, or try and reform it. Now, here's the thing. To reform the church, you first have to care about the church. To reform the church, you first have to care about the church. You know, I could have asked when we were going through the whole thing, you know, how many have had bad education. Well, did you quit in the fifth grade or the ninth grade? You know what I'm saying? I could have asked how many of you guys have had bad family holidays. You know, and maybe some of you quit your family at a family holiday. It happens. I almost did once or twice, right? I had an I have an older sister older sister and me don't really work well together when you're like a teenager, you know? Um, but if you're going to reform your family, you first have to care about your family. If you're going to reform the church, you first have to care about the church. So when we get into these habits and create these cultural ways of talking where we make light of church and talk about it so flippantly we engender a lack of concern or even we create we strip away all the gravitas to an institution that God created and said will last all the way into eternity his community of people And so if we're going to reform it and begin to make it look more and more like God created it to look, like he wants it to look, because the redeemed people of God are supposed to be able to live together in a certain way that they bring about the principles or the realities of what the kingdom life is supposed to look like such that it is so dynamic So dynamic that non-Christians, people that are far from God and don't understand kingdom principles, would look at it and be so attracted and so drawn to it that they would want to run into that visible community of the church, the people of God, and that in that they would find at work what it's supposed to look like when everything is working the way it's supposed to work when God is in the center, when Christ is the head, and when everyone is taking their direction and working together and building itself up in love, that that would be so dynamic that it would draw people in. You working out with God in your garage is not the plan. I talked to to Dr. Bach last week. I'm talking at the Justice Conference in a month, and you know, so I, I ran this theological thing by him because I didn't want to stand up in front of a couple thousand people and be like, This means this, and then find out later that it didn't really mean that. And he's a lot smarter than I am. So I said, Hey, look, this is what I'm talking about. Just you know, tell me I'm tell me I'm uh I'm on the right track. He says, Not only are you on the right track, but there's a whole second half to that. He says, not only is justice necessary, but the Christian community, the church, is designed to bring about flourishing, shalom, goodness, that this is the community where there's a vital presence of the Holy Spirit bringing about the fruit of the Spirit in our own individual lives and in our inter, uh, our relationships. I mean, fruit, if you look at the fruit of the Spirit, they're all relational qualities. Patience and goodness and faithfulness and you know love and self control like these are these have to do with relationships and the, and the holy spirit is working with us and changing the nature of our relationships where forgiveness happens and grace happens and encouragement happens and long suffering happens and disciple and, and the holy spirit is working and the idea is that this is bringing about goodness shalom, peace, flourishing, and that that is the picture of what happens when God comes in and is the kind of the dynamic kind of quickening spirit in the middle of, of something. It, it grows into something dynamic. It's a light that attracts other people. And I'm like, man, it's so funny how we want to fix what's broken or we want to run off and go do the adventurous things, or we want, to, we, want to, we want to see all this American, you know, type A. We want to do all the stuff that's there, and we can see it and fix it. But we don't realize that in the middle of all this is this opportunity to participate in something beautiful. The church, the family of God becoming or trying to live out these kingdom principles. It's beautiful. It's not, it's like your family, though. It's like the holidays. It's like your home life. It's not crazy travel to Europe, backpack Europe, exciting. But after five years or ten years when it works right, you begin to go, there's nothing more meaningful than that in the world. You know, the real stuff of my family and with my kids isn't the, the backpacking Europe It's that over 10 years or over 15 years, there's such a health to that family culture and the relationships are so dynamic and strong and that the memories are so good and rich and deep and that the character that we've been able to shape into each other is so real and lasting and and sharp. And you realize that more than the big houses or the fancy cars or the backpacking Europe, that health is really all that really matters. And it's beautiful. And it's why people look at our family and go, wow, you got such a great family. And they look at other families and go, I don't want to be a part of that family. And there's something beautiful we can do as a visible church in this town. And we're never going to get there if the word church, the word church is sticky, ugly. Mm-hmm. Thin. Common. Second thing is this. If we get the head wrong, we get the body wrong. I realized this last week when I was listening to something Dr. Bach was saying. If we get the head wrong, we get the body wrong. Go back to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. Again, verse 15, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when every part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. If we get the head wrong, we get the body wrong. You see, the thing that's at the center of Antioch, it's our number one commitment. That we're Christ centered. It's our number one commitment at Antioch. Christ is in the center of this thing. And if that doesn't mean much, it's not going to have much of a gravitational pull to the stuff on the edges. If All of us gathered here don't really care much about the center. We're not really committed much to the center. We're not really sold out to what's in the center. We haven't really died to self so that we can live for Christ. If that's not dynamic, it's not going to have much of a pull on the edge. And if there's not much of a pull on the edges, then the parts are going to be really spread out and not really fitted together. And if the parts are spread out and not really fitted together, you don't have much of a body. I saw this documentary um, a ways back called The Grizzly Man. Anybody see that? This dude goes to Alaska. I don't recommend it. It didn't turn out well for him. But he went to Alaska because people weren't really loving the grizzly bears enough. And he needed to go love the grizzly bears. (laughs) We got a new puppy recently, like a couple weeks ago. And this puppy's cute and it's harmless. And I think this dude thought grizzly bears were, were the same, you know. Um, So he went and he was like three summers or four summers. He went and thought he was the protector of the grizzly bears and he was like one of them, you know what I mean? Um, But he got ate by one of the grizzly bears. And so they come and they shot the grizzly bear that ate him. And and then I remember watching the documentary and there's this helicopter pilot, you know, with the hanger in the background being interviewed and, and he's like, you know... We, they brought the grizzly bear back here, you know, and flew it in, and they cut the grizzly bear open, and it was all in there. They took it out, and all the body parts were there, and we put them in some sacks over here, and, and I remember being grossed out, and then all of a sudden, I was, and he was talking about all the body parts and all there, and, it's, and all of a sudden, I realized something really interesting. <laughs> you can have all the body parts together in one place, <laughs> and doesn't make a body Okay, this analogy makes a lot of sense to me, okay? If we don't understand the gospel, if we're not willing to, I mean, seriously, die to self so that we can live with Christ, that our our driving question every day is Christ. Where would you, this is the question I ask every day. Talk to my wife. I want to be at the right place at the right time. I will do anything. You just tell me the right place at the right time. I'll make my wife mad at me. I'll offend my staff. I'll take a risk that I don't even know whether it's wise or foolish. I will do anything. You just tell me, Lord, where's the right place, where's the right time. I don't say I get it right, but I I don't. I don't care about the cost. I just want to be trying to always be at the right place at the right time. If we are all vitally engaged and realizing it's about following Christ, not just accepting Christ 's forgiveness. Repentance is about turning from our own direction, the wordplay here, and really following Christ. That's why Christ's call was always a call to discipleship. Bonhoeffer, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And when we are no longer self, but we're now pursuing Christ and taking our direction from Christ, and you multiply that over by a bunch of different people... And we're taking our cues that way, and so there's now the one center that can orchestrate the different parts. And the different parts, taking their direction from the head, are fitted together as each part works properly. Properly is what? Defined by you doing what the head's saying to do. Right place, right time. You can only be in the right place right time if you're taking direction. You can only take direction if you're listening, if you care. And if this is happening, people that are so pious and religious and zealous and sold out, and you multiply that over and over, all of a sudden you have this harmony and this synergy and this, this, this acting in concert. And this, this whole thing kind of quickens and this body kind of begins to, to, to stand up and take shape. And if that really happens, it's dynamic, okay? But we only get the body right if we get the head right. We're only going to get church right or or Christian community right if we get the gospel right. I think the biggest problem with us getting church and community wrong is that we don't get the gospel right. We take the selfish part of the gospel It's in my best interest to get saved, to not be far from God, to be reconciled, to be forgiven. I like being forgiven. We take that and tuck it in our pocket and walk away. And we act like I've accepted Jesus into my heart. So, you know, he's there and he's going to clean up anything bad that happens, which is partly true. Revelation talks about Jesus being this advocate at the right hand of God, wiping away kind of whatever sins we do and, and, and int, being an intercessor on our behalf. But the phrase that Paul uses all the time is that we are in Christ. Not that he's tucked away in, in little safe baby Jesus that we take with that we are in Christ, that he is the king, that he is the head. His righteousness covers us, is imputed. It's this this huge, big, deep, life-changing concept. And if we get the gospel wrong, we're going to have 40 years after we get saved of going, I don't know what I do next. I got all I needed, got my forgiveness, so what else am I going to do with my time? Maybe I'll pursue a career. Maybe I'll cook up some life goals. Maybe I'll... You know what I'm saying? If it's just so tame that it doesn't command our sole allegiance and that it's not sovereign over us and that we're not accountable to it, that there's nothing so desirable in here that all other pleasures take a backseat to it. If we don't get the good news right that we can trade all of self for all of something better, then we're not going to get community right. If we throw 500 people together that are all looking out for themselves how's that ever going to bring about a community and i'm tired i'm tired of i have, I, I, should, I hate community group fairs i hate tables i hate balloons i hate i hate categories women's groups and this groups and that groups and the, i hate it all i know it's necessary But it feels all so mechanical to me. And I know it's a part of the process. Becca, I'm sorry. It's all part of the process. But I jump past all the silly, I mean, it's not silly either. You know what I'm saying? I don't care about all this stuff. I care about community. I care about my kids doing the dishes because it's the right thing. Because their life's going to be better and my life's going to be better. And there's something about goodness and truth and harmony and community and obedience and relationship. And there's something about wholeness that's, that's so winsome. And I want joy. I want my joy. I, I'm, I'm tired a lot. And I'm tired of not having the joy that should be mine. And I'm promised joy by God if I would be obedient to him. And I'm, I'm promised that when I get with other people like me, there's an encouragement and a goodness and a wholeness that will come from that. I, I'm, I'm told that it'll be better than being by myself. That it'll, it'll fill something in me that, that was put there by God, a longing for Christian community. That people will be looking out for me and help me move or bring me food when I need it or pray for me. And I want that joy. I'm tired of, of church abuse too. I really am. And I understand that religion is a bad word for a reason. But when Jesus talked about religion being bad, he talked about false religion. He talked about hypocrisy. He was a rabbi. He was a religious Jewish teacher that was bringing in and initiating the new covenant. And his followers wrote scripture. Jesus was not against religion. He was against hypocrisy. And so I'm tired of this whole, I hate religion, I, I want Jesus stuff. We've got to be more careful with our language and say that I'm against hypocrisy that dishonors God. I'm against false religion. But what I really want is the real thing. And it's going to involve community and it's going to involve disciplines because community, frankly, is a discipline. That's why our value at Antioch is intentional community because it's not going to happen to you. There's not 499 other people that stand up and go, we're all going to bring community to you because you are so much more important than everybody else. We're going to make it easy. It's a discipline, it's a requirement, it's an opportunity to do the dishes and then get the joy that comes from a job well done. And if we don't care about Christ, we're not going to care about the church. And if we don't care about the church, we're not going to care enough to reform the church and try and make it the healthiest that we can. And if we're not trying to make church the healthiest that we can, then what are we really doing? And I don't want you here because then you become a headache and I don't get my joy. And I'm tired and I want my joy. Please, 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 please. We have to understand that we are enamored with ideals in America. The ideal of love. It's an ideal. Are you ever going to finish it? Not unless you die for someone else. That's a, an instance of love, and it's and it's also a finish line, all at the same time. Unless you die for something, you're never going to finish love. Do you understand? You understand? You're never going to finish community. Someone might wrong you, and you might get abused. You might get taken advantage of. You might get offended. You might get hurt. And you might do a great job. And you might bless someone. And you might bring about. And you might help other people. And you might be the agent that pulls together. You're might do. You're never going to finish it. It's an ideal. And so Jesus comes along. And you want to know what he threw in there? He threw in there the very practical thing that makes ideals work. Because people... If all we're thinking about is ideals, we we typically do nothing. Talk about love usually doesn't go anywhere. Talk about community usually doesn't go anywhere. Sign-up sheets usually don't go anywhere. So Jesus, right before he died, took a bunch of guys who were arguing about who's going to be greatest, not loving each other, not really acting like they're in good community, taking their direction from the head and following what their part was supposed to be, They're arguing, and they're they're quibbling, and they're being anti each other and pro-self. And Jesus comes along and says, "Here's here's the last lesson. Takes off his clothes, wraps himself in a cloth, gets a basin of water, sits down at muddy feet, starts washing the feet. And he uses one of the greatest boring words in the history of language. Service. And he says, I've served you and set you an example you follow this example because you're not greater than me so I'm the head and I'm serving you you're the body you're going to have to serve because service is when love puts on working clothes and service is when community begins to knit itself together as each part is doing its what its work So Ephesians 4 talks about me. We don't have time, so I'm just going to paraphrase it for you instead of turning to it. Ephesians 4 talks about a pastor equipping so that the church, the people in the church, the body, would be able to go and do the work of ministry. So we do a lot of great things. We we have sign-up sheets, and we have groups, and we have... Uh, books and we, we, we spend time with people, and we do marriage counseling, and we pray for people, and our staff does a lot of, we pour ourselves out. But you know what? There's one thing we can't do. We can't do the work of ministry. The work of ministry has to be done by the body. as each part does it's work and makes the whole thing come together build itself up in love i'm helpless impotent not really i'm impotent spiritually to bring about to bring about what god wants in church i'm helpless don't look to me other than to get what you need to do what God's calling you to do. So then it goes on. It says, we're to equip so that you do the work of ministry. What is the work of ministry? It's to join together with the rest of the body of believers. How does that happen? As we serve one another. And as we serve one another, what's the rest of the work? It's to then be able to go out as a collective body working in harmony into the world to make a difference, to change the world, to be on mission, to be witnesses. So my, my body parts, there's an interdependence, but my arm didn't just get created this way for the sake of my body, but for a function outside my body. There is a necessary interdependence you to you and you to those back there, the front seat people to the back seat people, whatever. There's there's a necessary interdependence. And that interdependence creates the opportunity for you to do what you are called to do, which also is a mission outside the church. So we say at Antioch, everyone should have a ministry in the church and a mission in the world. Do you see where that comes from? A ministry in the church, the interdependence, the working together, each part doing its, its called upon, its, its designed, its necessary function. And then because of that, having a mission in the world. See, I dreamed of a church when we started where every church I've ever been at was dead to the point where the real movers and shakers or high capacity people, the men and the women that can change the world that are zealous that are passionate artists and leaders and entrepreneurs, they didn't want to come to church. Because church had such a low ceiling of what was possible or what they were even trying to do. There's it was just kind of routine functional religion. And so all these amazing gifted people would look at church and go, that's what I do on Sunday, but then I'm going to start a business, or I'm going to join a business, or I'm going to go find something else where I can change the world. And so all the best people went to the business world, and nobody stayed for the church. Have You ever, you know what I'm talking about? And that, just, that just drives me crazy. And I was just like, man, we got to have a church where we're dreaming big enough dreams, where the people that dream big dreams will come to the church and realize as part of the church, they're going to change the world. That we as the people of of God can come together in such an amazing, vital way that we're going to impact not only each other, not only this community in Bend, but we're going to make a difference in the world by being the church. And that we don't have to somehow leave and go to some business or some nonprofit or somewhere else. We're the church, the visible people of God in this location. I, I hunger for that. So when we're talking about intentional community today, it's got to be about more than just sign-up sheets and balloons. It's got to be about signing up for, for community. It's a discipline where we're going to say, I'm intentionally going to do this even though I don't have time for it. I'm going to make room because I'm going to serve others. I'm going to get to know others. I'm going to labor through this because somewhere at the end of all this, something's going to happen that I can't, I can't know of right now. But it's God's plan, and I'm going to trust it. So whether it's the, the sign-up sheets, whether you start grabbing people, whether you do dinners, whether you take people out to lunch after church, whether you're like, you know what, sitting around in a circle and small groups not my thing, I'm going to get involved in some kind of a ministry, and I'm gonna, I'm just going to work alongside. See, girls, when I when I was in grad school, I noticed this. I'd eat the same place for lunch every every day. And girls would sit at these big square tables. Girls, two girls would always sit directly across from each other, look each other eye to eye. If there was two guys that came to the same table, they would always put their back to a wall and sit at the, the two chairs, like, next to each other, and then kind of tilt them out. And they would, like, kind of talk while they were just watching everything, right? I, I'm like that. Um sign me up for service and, and I'll build relationships side by side and, and we have different kinds of people some people are wired much more relationally and much more about talking and, and feelings and emotions and, and praying for each other and that whole thing I don't care what it is here's the bottom line if love is going to happen if, if community is going to happen it's going to happen because we boiled it down to the level of service and sacrifice and intentionality so my prayer for today is just that. I'm going to close. I mean, we won't even close. We'll just close. Uh, and then we're going to take the offering and the comment cards and all that stuff. But here's the deal. I pray we, we dream big enough dreams to have a view of church and religion that's not neutered. I pray that we would intentionalize our relationship with each other to the degree that we actually serve one another. And that we go out into this community and try and change the community rather than just thinking that religion or church is all about meeting my felt needs. I pray that we would hunger for our collective joy to the degree that we realize we need one another and we have to be committed to one another. And I really would just pray that in Jesus' name, who is the head from which everything in the body derives its function, its meaning, and its life. Pray that in Jesus' name.